Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. To the Servants of Grace theology segment, my name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's show, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this, which denomination is the right denomination? Is there one? Well, before we can even ask this question, which denomination is the right denomination, and is there one, we need to understand something of the church's calling and thus of every Christian. See, Scripture teaches in Ephesians 4, 5, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And such teaching helps Christians understand the unity that is theirs because they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 4, 3, Paul appeals to Christians for the character qualities of humility, meekness, patience, and love, which are necessary to the preservation of unity. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.10 teaches that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, by which he reveals, he teaches those whom he indwells. Such a, such a process is what theologians call illumination, where the Holy Spirit helps the people of God interpret the scripture. Now, every Christian is to read and to study and to handle the word of God rightly. That's 2 Timothy 2.15 in prayerful dependence upon the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so in the real world, not every Christian who possesses the Holy Spirit obeys the teaching of Scripture. In fact, there are Christians, Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, who grieve the Holy Spirit. And one reason is there are so many different interpretations and so many denominations that many people do not listen to the Holy Spirit as revealed in the Word of God. Let me be clear about this, because there's a lot of confusion about what I just said in our day. So I want to be clear for you what I about what I just meant by what I said. The only way that we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit is as revealed as he has revealed himself, the triune God, in the Scriptures, the Word of God. As it's been said, if you want to, if you want to hear God speak, read the word. If you want to hear him speak out loud, read the word out loud. That's what I mean when I said that the only way to hear God, the only way to know God is as he's revealed in the word of God. That's what I mean. Okay. Some other reasons also, in addition to what I just said, are unbelief. Some people who claim to be Christians are not Christians at all. There's never been any transformation in their heart or in their lives and no evidence uh, at all and at all of that they've been regenerate. It's impossible for the non-Christian to correctly interpret Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us. For they have no illumination of the Holy Spirit, which is why even being a pastor or even a theologian, it doesn't guarantee that you are saved. In John 12, 28 through 29, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, glorify your name. And the Father responds with an audible voice that every single person hears. 
And even so, the crowd interprets the voice differently, saying this, the crowd that was there and heard it, it said, had, had thundered, and others said, an angel had spoken to him. Everyone heard the same thing, a plain statement from heaven, and yet everyone heard what they wanted to hear. 2 Timothy 2.15 makes it clear that there is no shortcut to proper biblical interpretation, but to read and study the word of God, both personally and in your local church. And one example of this was Apollos, by the way, a powerful and even a persuasive preacher who was ignorant of Jesus and salvation. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and explained to him the way of God more adequately, Acts 18, 24 through 28 tells us. And as a result of their training, Apollos preached Jesus Christ as revealed in the word of God. Another reason that you might not be understanding the scriptures rightly is a wrong emphasis on tradition. See, biblical interpretation goes immediately wrong when it's filtered first and primarily not through the word, but by the established traditions of the church. That's where the Catholic church goes wrong because they view the scriptures and the traditions on the same level as the scripture, the word of God, the authoritative and binding word of God. In fact, concerning tradition and the Bible's teaching, far too often tradition is given the place of prominence. And when this happens, the authority of the word is diminished and the authority of the church leader's position or tradition, not the word of God, are given supremacy. Now, I want to clarify something. I, I'm a Protestant uh, and I'm a, I'm, I adhere to Reformed theology as articulated by the 1689, although the only there's only some minor differences that I would have with the Westminster Confession of Faith. But the point is, is, is we need to say the, our fir the first and foremost way that we understand Scripture is by Scripture itself. We come to the Scripture because the Scripture tells us about who God is and what he's like and who Jesus is and all these things. And, and we're confessional because we believe that these things that have been taught by sound teachers like Calvin and Spurgeon and o John Owen and John Flavel and on and on and on. These men were aiming to be faithful to the scripture, but they were striving to be faithful to orthodox theology as articulated in the, in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Chalcedon Creed, just to name a few and the men who wrote those were seeking to be faithful to the scriptures over and against false doctrine of their day. So as Christians, we are not against tradition. However, our first and our primary allegiance is to the word of God. And then we can learn as we're reading and we're studying and we're meditating on the word, both personally in the church, we can learn from the teachers that have gone before us. This is church history. So I don't want you to think, ah, oh, Dave's against tradition. I, I, I am a huge fan. All you have to do is read my first two books or read any, just about any article that I write. I love church history. I, I am a huge fan of church history, but it has to be filtered first through the word of God. That's why the Bereans were commended in Acts 17, because they were Bereans. So we're not against tradition. We're not against, uh, we don't want to, you know, do away as, as some 
mainline denominations want to do with the restorations, want to do away with, you know, all the church's teaching. No, what we as Christians want to do, we acknowledge that there's been teachers and God has used them. And we want to learn from the best teachers, uh, as Ephesians 4.11 says, God gave us teachers. So we want to learn from those teachers, but we want to filter their teaching and any any teaching that we might hear through the word of God. And then if it accords with biblical doctrine, we want to receive it as such. So we want to be discerning in what, in what we hear. So no, we're not against tradition, but we... We interpret tradition first and foremost through the word of God. You see, Christians need to prioritize what scripture teaches. That's my point. But we also need to be av- avoid being dogmatic where scripture is silent. The best example is to follow is the early church in Jerusalem in Acts 2.42, where there was unity because they were steadfast on the Apostles' Creed. There, today, there, there can be unity in the church, but not a part from biblical doctrine, and only as we're grounded in the word of God. In fact, during the Reformation, the Reformers aimed to stop uh, speculative and even wrong interpretations of Scripture by setting forth what is known as the analogy of faith. This means that Scripture is its best interpreter. Christians, according to this rule of biblical interpretation, are to interpret Scripture according to Scripture. And so according to the analogy of faith, Scripture is the supreme judge in interpreting the meaning of a particular verse in light of the whole teaching of the Word of God. And so behind the idea of the analogy of faith is confidence in the Bible as the consistent and the coherent Word of God. The governing principle of the analogy of faith is to guide biblical interpretation. Census literals is the principle that governs an objective interpretation of Scripture. Census literals, it means that Christians must interpret the Bible in the sense that it's given. Parables are to be interpreted as parables. Symbols as symbols. Poetry as poetry. Historical narrative as historical narrative. Letters as letters. Challenging biblical passages are challenging for a reason, but they are, not, they are to be interpreted in light of the clear biblical passages on the subject. See, all scripture is clear, but not all biblical passages are equally clear. For example, there's numerous heresies that have erred on a particular point and forced conformity to the obscure passages rather than to clear biblical passages. And so as a result, these heresies have distorted our understanding of the Bible. If something remains unclear in one part of the Bible, it's made clear elsewhere in the word of God. And let's say we have two biblical passages that can be interpreted in various ways. In such an instance, we, we must interpret the Bible in such a way as not to violate Scripture's unity and Scripture's integrity. See, the Bible is to be interpreted literally. This means that the Word of God is not to be handled as a secret code book to unlock the, the world's mysteries. There's no code book in the Bible, by the way. There's no secret to unlock in the Bible, just so you know. Instead, Christians are to read the Bible like any other work of literature. And doing so, our goal is to read the scripture correctly. And by reading the word of God, literally, we are accounting for the biblical author's intent. This is authorial intent, what they meant by what they wrote, their intended goal, their aim. 
and the literally conventions of the particular style they use to address biblical biblical readers. For example, we do not read poetry the same way we read historical narratives of the Bible. Poetry employs rich imagery that, that serves as a figurative depiction of reality. The historical narrative gives an orderly account of what's happened. As Christians, we read the Bible literally, and the goal in doing so is to get to the plain sense of the text so that we can arrive at the meaning of the biblical passage. While inspiring the word of God, the Holy Spirit guided the human authorities to employ literary styles such as poetry, proverb, narrative, sermon, epistle, and many other styles. The Lord used these genres so that the people of God might know that God gave them to us for his word. And while the rules for each of these genres were, were not to violate them for the sake of allegorical reading, that does not contact, that does not connect with the meaning of the biblical text. Now, you might wonder, well, you just gave me a whole lot of background, and that's great, but what, why, why does this matter, Dave? Why does it matter? It's a really good question. Reading the Bible, it's critical for Christians. But you see, we are to do so according to proper hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, remember, is the art and the science of biblical interpretation that helps us to take into account the various literary styles. If we fail in this, Brothers and sisters, we're going to get the wrong meaning of the text. The plain meaning of a biblical passage is best for reading poetry as poetry, narrative as narrative. And so we'll get the meaning controlled by the text in arriving at the proper uh, interpretation and application of the biblical passage. Now, you might wonder practically, what does this mean? Well, this affects what kind of church you're going to go to, what denomination you're going to be part of and many people ask me well what should i look for in a in a good church well as you look for one please consider asking yourself the following questions in light of the church's statement of faith and if the answer is no or they don't even have a statement of faith click off that that church's website immediately avoid that church but if the answer is yes to these questions that they affirm the answer to these questions i'm about to give you it's a safe place to begin to go to and to sit under the preaching and teaching of that pastor or pastors if they have a plurality of pastors. And just to make sure we're on the same page here. At Servants of Grace, we are for men only to be pastors, and they must be biblically qualified according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. In addition, always learn more about the church before committing to be a member. I, I think a good rule, although not a hard and fast one, is to take at least a year, go there, give it a good try, sit under the preaching and teaching, uh, learn about the life of the church, maybe go to the membership meeting, and then make a decision about if you're going to join there or not, according to their answer to these questions. And you know what? How you connect with the people in the church, you're, you're going to do life with these people, okay? So here's the questions. Does a church, and remember, you, you need to answer yes to all of these questions, uh, this set of questions I'm about to give you. Does the church affirm that the Bible consists of the Old and the New Testaments and that Scripture is inspired and inerrant and sufficient? Does the church affirm the doctrine of the Trinity, which is the position that there is one God who exists in three simultaneous distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Does the church affirm the deity of Christ, that, that Jesus 
presently has two natures, divine and human. Does the church affirm that Jesus is fully God and fully man right now and that he was resurrected in a glorified body? Does the church affirm the personhood of the Holy Spirit? Does the church affirm that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without any works, without any baptism necessary to maintain salvation? Does the church affirm that Adam and Eve were the first people who ever existed and they were created by God and that they're real people who lived in real history? If the answer is yes to those questions that I just read, then you should seriously consider either joining or being a part of that church and checking it out more. If the answer is no to any of those questions, do not go to that church. Do not stay at that church. And I'll add a little funny, do not pass go, meaning immediately leave that church or don't visit it. Okay? Now, if your answer to any of the questions that I'm about to read is yes, you need to mark and avoid that church. Here's the questions for these. Number, if there's an answer to yes of any of these. You should avoid that church. If you're a member, you should leave that church. You should resign your membership and find a different church immediately. Here's the questions. Do they support homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle to biblical marriage between one man and one woman? Do they support, we need to even say more, do they support polygamy? or any other definition other than marriage between one man and one woman for life under God. If they do, leave that church. Here's another question. Do they affirm that a practicing unrepentant homosexual can be a true Christian? Another question. Do, is water baptism necessary for salvation? Do they teach universalism that all people will be saved apart from saving personal faith in Christ alone? Do they affirm the prosperity gospel or do they support the ministry of prominent leaders who preach it? Do they have unbelievers on the pastoral staff or the worship team? Can the believer lose their salvation? Is evolution what God used to, to, to bring us into the world? If the answer is yes, do not pass go. Immediately leave that church immediately, please, because they're not adhering to biblical fidelity, biblical faithfulness, and they're not adhering to orthodox theology. Here's some other questions. These are, these are more preference-oriented, preference but many people find these to be very important. What style of worship does the church matter now? It's really important that to clarify here that not only is the preaching grounded in the word of God, but that the singing is the, the songs that they sing are rooted and grounded in, in, in sound biblical theology, theology rooted in the text of scripture or text of scripture and in orthodox theology. Uh, the second question, how often do they take communion? This is more of a preference, you know, do they have communion once a week? Do they have communion twice a month? Do they have communion once a year? And, and on and on and on. 
It's a preference. Third, does the church allow children in the sanctuary during the service? For some people, that's a big, big deal. Okay. Fourth, another thing to really pay attention and ask about, has there been a church split recently? And if so, why? Fifth, do they only hold to the King James Version of the Bible? Now, there's other questions that we could ask that you might want to ask. Uh, ask those questions. Find them out. Picking a, picking a church to attend is a subjective endeavor. Uh, different Christians have different criteria. Perhaps the above questions might help you to determine whether or not a church you're looking for or maybe even attending is worth either continuing to attend or even worth checking out and so on. Now, I hope that this helps you to biblically evaluate any church or any denomination you're considering uh, making and that it will help you to have confidence um, as you aim to make it and as you aim to be faithful. The church that you pick is really important. They, sh they should be grounded and rooted in sound biblical doctrine. The pastor should preach the word and he should pre help you understand theology there should be some sort of theology class or engagement with theology as well to help the people learn sound biblical doctrine. There's even, I would even say that the pastors and elders should occasionally have maybe every once or twice a year a forum where questions can be asked of any kind and type and answers can be given, uh, preferably, you know, so the pastor has a chance, uh, not on the spot, but a chance to prepare answers to those questions. Uh, to be fair, uh, so that good answers are given to those tough, challenging questions facing our culture today, and so on and so forth. But, guys, as I always say, uh, these are supposed to be short episodes. This is a large question. We've gone over our 15 or 10 to 20 minutes. So I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of this Servants of Grace Theology segment. I hope it's been helpful, and may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.